Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to Talking Hockey Sense. I'm Chris Peters. So glad that you can join me for this week's episode as we talk Stanley Cup playoffs. Does it get any better than this? No, it does not. But there's a lot of other things to talk to. I also have a great guest today, Emily Kaplan from ESPN, my former colleague and one of the best people I know, a great friend and also a just tremendous journalist has joined me today and we are going to talk about the playoffs we're going to talk about the season that was as well, because I think one of the things that, that has come out of this season is, you know, a lot of players had a tough time this year. There was a lot of mental health issues. There were other things, you know, we talked about players in just, you know, losing weight and doing all these different things with and, and the sacrifices that players had to make. And, and we talk about that with Emily. Emily has covered mental health issues in sports for years and has done such a phenomenal job with that and tells so many great stories. So we talk about that as well and, and what inspired her to tell those kinds of stories. And we also talked a bit about her career, which has been on a meteoric rise. You know, sure, her first job out of college was at Sports Illustrated, and then she moves to ESPN. So, um, you know, she talks a lot about, you know, the, the different things that she learned from that and also being on TV, being on Around the Horn, being on SportsCenter and all the different things that, that have kind of come her way since she's been at ESPN. So uh, if you are a fan of hockey, we got the hockey stuff for you. Lots of news and analysis there. If you are a fan of uh, Emily, a lot about her. And if you're a fan of journalism, uh, a great look at how her career kind of exploded the way that it did. And uh, I'm super proud of her as, as a friend and as a colleague and um, certainly Really enjoyed our conversation today, and I hope that you will as well. Well, if you're listening to this podcast for the first time, I beg of you, please subscribe to it, rate it, review it. Let me know how it's going. You can even email me if you want. Um, you know, you can hit me up on Twitter at Chris M. Peters. There are a lot of different things that you can do, but please, uh, if you do, subscribe to this podcast, rate, review it, share it, do whatever you have to do. And if you're going to review it, please try to be nice. It helps. And uh, yeah, five-star reviews are, are more than welcome, especially on Apple Podcasts, so we can continue to move up those charts and, um, if nothing else, you know, make me feel better about this. But <laughs> aside from that, also, please support HockeySense.Substack.com. That is the, uh, the written element of, of the media operation that I've, got, I've been running here since I left ESPN. If you sign up there, it really helps support this podcast as well. That's kind of the engine that drives it all, and, and with that, 
you know, it's a, a $54 annual subscription, $6 for a monthly. Uh, so, you know, you're saving about three months off of that, that initial uh, year long. If you take that year long, you're saving some money there. So, uh, and there's a lot of stuff on there. There's a lot. Right now we have a review of the under 18 world championship. We've got draft rankings. We're going to have some mock drafts. The first mock drafts of the Hockey Sense era will be coming at you very, very soon. Looking forward to that immensely. Um, those are always fun and they get people real, real mad. Um, so we're going to try and do that for you. And then also uh, want to, you know, Take a look at the, the the spring draft rankings. I'll also have a lot of coverage of the upcoming Men's World Championship because it's going to be a little bit interesting. The U.S. is not taking a very star-studded team, but they do have draft-eligible Matty Beneers. They have uh, other prospects and players that are coming back. They even have Brian Boyle, who didn't play in the NHL this year, trying to get back into the league. I think he's a great story. Um, so there are a lot of things to watch. And and. And this is an interesting world championship year because I feel like the the playing field is kind of level. It's it's kind of uh, you know not everybody is going to be able to bring their best team, and who knows what will come of that. The U.S. has not won gold there since you know like before time. So there are a lot of uh, different things. They do have one gold medal in the world championship. It was like a way long time ago. Um, none of us were alive. So anyway, aside from that, you know I, I hope that you'll kind of. Check that out. The The games will be on NHL Network, so you can watch the games and, and cheer on Team USA if you would like to. And we'll talk a little bit about some of the things uh, going on there on the podcast in coming weeks. But I think for now, it's time to focus on the Stanley Cup playoffs. And, and what a great postseason it has been so far. Very tight series. We're, you know, we're recording this on Tuesday. Um, so some of the series have not yet begun. Very excited to see things like the Toronto Montreal series, you know, all the Canadian series. Um, we've gotten a, a little taste of Tampa, Florida, which looks like it's going to be an incredible series throughout, um, you know, the physicality and intensity of, of Boston, Washington, which is, you know, two teams that have been together for a long time. A lot of guys that have been with, you know, those teams and have had some championship success. So I'm really excited to see where that goes, you know, Minnesota pulling off a game one upset uh, on Vegas. I think that's going to be a really tight series. You know, Colorado looking like a world beater, but also at the same time, you know, the Blues giving them all they can handle with Jordan Bennington. So we talk a lot about that, uh, about the postseason with Emily. So we're going to save more of the analysis and all the other stuff for that. And then after the interview's over, we'll just have a couple things to wrap up the podcast. And and aside from that, I, I just, you know, I had such a great time talking with Emily Kaplan uh, uh, such a great friend, and, and I think that you are going to really enjoy all the different angles and areas that this this podcast and interview goes because um, you know she, we we covered quite a bit of ground, and it was uh, at least fun for me. So I hope it was fun or will be fun for you as well. So without further ado, I'm going to send it over to my interview with ESPN's Emily Kaplan. I could not be more excited to bring in my next guest on Talking Hockey Sense. She is one of the rising stars in the media industry, one of the great people covering the game of hockey, covers it as comprehensively as anybody can at the worldwide leader in sports. She is Emily Kaplan of ESPN. And Emily, thanks for joining Talking Hockey Sense. It's so my pleasure. It's just great to hear your voice, interact with your voice, and <laughs> so peel back the corner. We're doing this on Zoom, so I get to see your face, which is even better. 
Oh, that's so sweet of you. I'm really, yeah, I miss you guys. So it's nice to see you too. And it's nice to interact with, with good friends. And yeah, although I did, I did get to eat at the Con Lodge in the last couple of weeks, which was uh, one of the all time great road meals of, of my ESPN career. So um, I still yeah. have me at lunch. <laughs> that was the best. So, but anyway, Emily, you know, I brought you here because we got to talk about the playoffs and we've been off to a great start. You know, we've, we've seen some great games, lots of overtimes, you know, plenty of series yet to begin. Come on, Canada, we're waiting. Um, and uh, very excited to see all of what will be coming next. But, you know, just what is, what are some of your early thoughts in terms of the series that have already begun? Is there anything that stands out to you in terms of you know, storylines, trends, um, you know, what are the things that you've really enjoyed most in these very early stages of the postseason? I've enjoyed the most the fact that the first two days, no team held more than a one goal lead, which is just wild. And obviously all of the overtime hockey. Um, I've just enjoyed the intensity really. And part of that is bringing the fans back. I'm gonna have a story later in the week in ESPN just talking about, you know, how even the Canes got 12,000 fans. It's not insignificant in this right. climate to be able to um, work that up. And all we've heard from players all season long is how much they miss it and that energy and how hard it is to develop themselves. And of course they create that energy in the playoffs because that's what they all play for, but it's just such an extra boost. And it really does feel like the first wave of we're ushering in normalcy um, and then just, yeah, like how tight these series are. The Battle of Florida, like <laughs> it's a battle. Like we were joking about it being a battle of Florida, but it's legitimately a battle. Like there are going to be casualties. Um, the Islander series is great. Obviously the Bruins caps. Um, and yeah, we haven't even seen half of them yet. So it's um, it's just been a great start. Yeah, we, we are off to a great start. And I wanted to get back to that Tampa, Florida series because it's really interesting as we're recording, recording this on Tuesday, and Florida is already making a goalie change with Chris Drieger uh, getting his, his first opportunity, um, you know, which is very classic Joel Quenville. He is, he is not a sentimental type at all. You got to cover him up close and personal in Chicago, but I mean, you know, you look at the, the quality of hockey played between the two teams. I think the, the, the nation is going to get a better idea of how good the Florida Panthers are. But I think what we've seen is that the cap or the the bolts are still very much the champs. And uh, when you get a couple extra bodies that make uh, multi million dollars uh, that can put a lot of goals in nets, that's going to help too. But I mean, you know, just in terms of the intensity, I agree completely. But I mean, do you think this one has a chance to go the distance? And also, I mean, how do you, how do you just how great is this? for the league to see these two teams being this good and playing this entertaining a brand of hockey. Um, it's everything they want, right? Like Gary Bettman's love child or love children are the Sunbelt expansion teams. He wants them to thrive. Um, and so this is exactly what the league wants is it's about to expand its footprint with these new TV US, uh, wow, two US TV deals. I've had to say that 10 million times in the last two months and still can't get it right. <laughs> um, you mentioned the goalies though. It's interesting because Chris Dreger is going to get the start would you be shocked if Spencer Knight got in the series? Because I wouldn't. Like, they <laughs> goaltending apartment, and we all laughed about it because of the name, and it sounds so silly, and it's headed up by Roberto Luongo. Um, but I, like, talked to Luongo. It was right towards the end of the season when they called Knight up, or they signed him. Um, they gave him a start, and it's like, we realize this kid is special, and we want to do right by him, and we don't want to rush him, but we also don't want to waste too much of his time. And in the limited action we saw from him already, 
he looks more than capable. So, um, I don't know. I just feel like there's some twists and turns in the series to go. And you mentioned the Kucherov storyline, like, look, you can cry cap circumvention all you want. This is something that's collectively bargained. Exactly. Um, does seem quite convenient though, that like the playoffs start and boom, he's at not only on the ice, but like at a hundred percent and improving and scoring two power play goals and assisting on another. That's yeah. quite to have. Yeah. I mean, yeah. The bolts have just like, you know, the lightning in general have just been, <laughs> you know, they've, they've kind of taken advantage of the advantages that they have. And that's just being a good team. And that's using, not only that, you also have to think about the amount of financial commitment that it takes from an owner to spend the, the yeah. amount that they've had to spend on their roster this year. And so it, it's not just luck or, you know, and it, and there is certainly it's, it's, it's technically not circumvention. I mean, it just is what it is and it's allowed. So, yeah, but I mean, I think that you, you, you look at this team and why are they one of the best? Well, they do a lot of things really smartly. And then they also manage to have an owner that's really been committed to making this team successful. And, and, you know, I, I, I thought it was pretty funny that, that, you know, Joel Quenville, you know, he just, he didn't really, he, he didn't necessarily complain about it, but he, you know, it, he, he made his comments about it. And I, I think it's going to be really interesting to see how, how they push back. Cause obviously I think you got to find a way to win tonight. Um, as we as we record this and well yeah Quenville has much ground to stand on because if memory <laughs> serves he was they did something very similar with Patrick Kane they did indeed I remember that quite well and they actually yeah I mean that 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 allowed them to go get Antoine Vermet and and Kim Otimanen and they they managed to you know build another Stanley Cup team with when and then Patrick Kane was right there, ready to go. And it was actually against, I believe he separated that shoulder against the Florida Panthers, if memory serves right. So this is, is yeah, it's a full circle. So, uh, but anyway, um, moving on just in terms of, you know, uh, we haven't seen the, the North division, the Canadian division team start yet, but is there any scenario that doesn't end with the Toronto Maple Leafs coming out of this division? Or what, what do you think is going to happen in uh, a very entertaining, but kind of wild and wacky division. It's a great question. You know, I think it's a foregone conclusion that the Toronto Maple Leafs are the best team in that division. They proved it this season by their play, um, but they are not a team without question marks and they're not a team without baggage and, and history of playoff collapses. And I don't, honestly, the team that I think everyone is sleeping on is the Winnipeg Jets because mm. finished the season on a lull. They didn't look great but you've got a goalie in Connor Hellebuck. Like we saw with Jordan Bennington last night and Monday night, where like goalies that can get in the zone and lock in can Bennington almost stole that game. Of course, the avalanche of the avalanche things, but like he was making some ridiculous saves. And I feel like Connor Hellebuck is that guy. um, And maybe even more so than Jordan Bennington is Um, defense, a little shaky, but they still have, incredible top end talent in their forwards. Um, so like, that's a team that I'm like, Oh, I don't know the Oilers. I don't even know if the Jets will beat the Oilers because they can be a team that surprises right. up. And that's, comes back to the Leafs. The only reason I see the Leafs not advancing is if goaltending becomes an issue um, because they've got a couple guys. They just don't have anyone that they feel super sound. That is hundred percent healthy. And has been super consistent for them. And as we know, this time of year, like goaltending matters. Absolutely. Yeah. It matters a great deal. And, you know, we've had a lot of, a lot of uncertain goaltending situations throughout the playoffs, which is really interesting because you've got, you know, in, in, in the Islanders, you know, Semyon Varlamov, not ready to start game one, 
Ilya Sorokin comes in, does a phenomenal job. You know, you got the Penguins. Is Tristan Jari the answer? You know, you've got the the Hurricanes. Is it at, is it going to be Nedeljkovic? Is it going to be Mrazek? We saw Nedeljkovic in Game One. Um, you know, it's it's just very interesting how how it's played out. And and then of course you've got you know Vegas has two elite goaltenders in their in their in their system, um, and and end up still losing anyway because they couldn't couldn't find the goal. So. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm excited. I'm thrilled with, with the matchups. I think that the first round matchups, we couldn't have asked for, for better ones. I think caps Bruins is going to be phenomenal all the way. We saw, you know, Nashville really did push Carolina in game one. I think that one could end up being closer than we thought. Minnesota Vegas could be closer. I I even think the blues, as you mentioned with Finnington, I mean, there's so many different angles that are, are going to come into play in this, uh, in this whole playoffs, but yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm really excited to see where things go next. I mean, beyond the the series themselves, you know, I, I think it, it's kind of interesting that we're going to be in this, this, this format, this new format. I'm, I'm fascinated to see what the, what the Stanley cup final is going to look like after that. I mean, how, how, what do you think in terms of format? Are you fine with it? Is it, should they have just kind of try to keep it a straight bracket or are, are you good with the, reseeding option i'm okay with the reseeding option honestly i'm okay with anything this season that made sense at the time like <laughs> right so silly that we had these teams play each other again and again and again in the regular season and then the first two rounds of the playoffs have to be the same teams again and then when we get to the semis we finally get to see like cross contamination that's <laughs> When we had to figure these things out, our world was in a much different place and things were looking bleak and we just didn't know. Now, all of a sudden, we've got 12,000 fans, both in Carolina and Nashville. Um, so, like, I'm fine with everything this season as a one-off and reassessing in the off-season. Reseeding, I'm kind of indifferent on, to be honest with you. Yeah. Like, I have a huge opinion on and feel super passionate about. Um, I, I think the one thing that is interesting is, you know, making these interdivisional playoffs and... I much would rather refer, uh, revert to the old format for that. Yeah. Yeah. I always like seeing teams that aren't as familiar with each other. I think it, you know, it, it doesn't necessarily make anything any more predictable or anything like that. It's just, or, or unpredictable. It's just, it's just kind of nice to see something different. Um, and we'll get, we'll get plenty of different next season. We hope, I mean, I think that we're, we're finally, you know, it feels like the Stanley cup playoffs and especially watching that Carolina game with all those fans, that was the most normal a hockey game felt beyond the fact that, you know, if you were watching from home, we had, you know, the remote broadcast, which actually you could kind of tell on the broadcast that it was remotely done because of the, the audio levels. So you don't get the full experience of what that was like in that building, but still, I mean, just seeing that it's, it's nice to feel and, and have a sense of normalcy once again, or as close as we can get in the current circumstances. Completely. And like, it wasn't just the most normal hockey game. I think that was the most normal sporting event I've seen in North America in the last 14 months. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that, and that is such a good thing and such a good sign of, of, of things to come. And certainly we're keeping our fingers crossed for our friends in Canada to get things under, you know, kind of under control there. It sounds like the vaccination process is starting to pick up there as well. Um, but one of the things that I wanted to talk to you about as well, because I know that you've made this really, uh, you've folded this into your coverage throughout your career at ESPN, but I think in this season in particular, it's, it's, it's become very important. But, you know, one of the things that we've heard a little bit about, but maybe not, maybe not enough about, is the mental strain that, that this season put on players, the, the mental health aspects of 
basically, you know, we got to live our lives how we chose to live it. Most of us did. Um, NHL players did not. Uh, and, and that was something that I think we didn't really fully appreciate as fans understanding the sacrifices that these and their, these guys and their families had to make. I just wonder what is your sense coming out of this season in terms of how players handled, you know, the, the strict restrictions, keeping up with protocols. I mean, it had to add such a, you know, and not only that, but maintain the performance of an elite athlete. I mean, it had to create quite a bit of strain. It is. I mean, they don't have the outlets they're used to having. Um, right. They're totally isolated in their hotel rooms. They're told you can't even interact with other teammates in their hotel rooms. Like you can go down to the meal room, grab a meal, and that's about it. Now, you know, we're starting to evolve. And now that we're in the playoffs, things have gotten better. But it was a complete grind for these guys. Another thing that I don't think was made enough about is because the borders remain closed, so many players were separated from their families this season, from yeah. their wives children and when they had to do it in the bubble it was really tough that was for two and a half months imagine the extended period of time and I think the struggle for a lot of players is as much as we're normalizing these conversations about mental health um, we're still not quite there yet because so many guys told me and Nick Foligno was the one that just like you know put his name out there and said it it's like we are told by so many people well you're millionaires you're getting to play a sport for a living just suck it up like things could be way worse and that's just that's the problem still with how there is a stigma around mental health, you know, right. spectrum, um, you know, if, if class defined mental health, it would be far more easy to address, quite frankly. Um, and I think a lot of guys struggle with just um, being able to talk about these things, um, both publicly, but also privately. And, you know, there's so many resources that the NHLPA makes available for them, the NHL and their teams make available for them. But there's still this belief that like you need to hit rock bottom in order to get help. And that's something that I think needs to evolve and need to shift. So um, I just give these guys a ton of credit. And, you know, I think everyone's under understanding. It is so much better that they got to play hockey than not play hockey this year. Their mental right. health would way more if their sport, their lives, their careers was taken away from them. That said, it doesn't necessarily mean it was easy. Right, right, exactly. I mean, I, I think that that's, that's the thing, you know, mental health does not, and, and, and mental illness does not, um, you know, it's, it's indiscriminate, you know, it, it will, it will take on all forms and all people and all different ways. And there's other, you know, anxiety, depression, all these different things that we don't think about. And, you know, and that's why one of the things, what I'm, what I'm kind of interested in, you know, I even heard about players, you know, losing weight and just like, you know, things that were really affecting them physically because of the, the mental situations and also just, you know, not being able to follow the same routines on the road. So meals were different and all these other things were different. And you're trying to get, you know, you know, maybe you're getting a burrito instead of getting a, you know, a, you know, like a, a, a huge big calorie meal or whatever you need after a game. And so like all these different things impacted players differently. And we've all had to adjust our lives. There's no question that it's been tough for most of us to do that. But for these guys, you know, they also, you know, they're, they're living their lives in the public eye too. So we see their struggles because it happens on the ice. And so Emily, I just wondered, you know, how, how lenient should we have been on some of the players that maybe underperform this season the guys that, you know, we obviously don't know what's going on with them and we don't, we shouldn't speculate, but I mean, I feel like this year is not a year where we're going to learn about 
learn a lot about the players and the teams specifically just because it was so different. Yeah, no, and I've heard a lot of people in hockey, GMs in front offices, even speak about how they think this might have adversely affected younger players mm, um, yeah. because they not have been as equipped or, you know, they whatever reason, um, you know, they might've struggled. And, you know, like I just look at my life and it's like, I'm a professional reporter for a living. I should be performing at my highest level in the last year. I can say, I don't think I did. I, I mm -hmm. think there were that were difficult for me. Not all of the resources that I typically have face-to-face -face interaction, being able to meet with sources, a lot, a lot, a lot were available to me. Um, and, but I'm still being judged. And I, I feel like, like you said, they're just magnified. So I do think, you know, a little empathy does go a long way. And if yeah. your favorite not performing as well as you expect them to, maybe just think what else could be going on in their life or, you know, what else possibly could it be? And should I yell and scream and curse them and say, we should buy out their contract or maybe just offer a little empathy and forgiveness and say, when things are back to normal, then maybe we'll judge people back on a normal scale. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's it's interesting because I didn't really, you know, you, you, until you, you know, start meeting these people, talking to them, realize that they have, you know, they, they are actual human beings. Um, it can be hard. It can be hard to remember that that they are and that they that they have a lot of the same issues that we do. So I've always appreciated that about your reporting and about what you've done as a, you know, because because you've made that a part of your, you know, coverage and of, of, of the NHL of women's hockey of you know, all levels of hockey, um, you've had some really great stories over the years. I think about, you know, Sophia Shaver and, you know, some of the, the, the teenage hockey players that you um, had had spoken with for stories and in, in Illinois. And, you know, so, you know, I just wonder, those stories are not easy to report. They're not easy to, you have to, there. you obviously have to approach it with a level of empathy, but you also have to be pretty delicate in terms of your storytelling, but you still have to tell the story. So, I just wonder how, how have you kind of approached those stories in the past and, and, and why has that become something that is important to you? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think it goes back into, I mean, if I like really wanted to backtrack my, why I got into this um, and I believe that sports can be a prism of society and that we mm -hmm. can learn so much about what's going on around, on around us. Um, and, you know, sports just kind of represents that. And um, for me personally, I have been dealing with mental health issues my entire life. My mom sent me to therapy when I was in elementary school. And at the time, um, I was really ashamed by it. I was, um, you know, none of my friends were going. I thought it was weird. There was something wrong with me. Um, and, you know, throughout my life, um, I didn't get anything out of therapy until I really committed to going into it myself. And then once I did, um, I started to make strides. And, um, you know, just taking my personal experience um, you know, I, I think sharing that with other people maybe makes them feel a little more comfortable and realizing why it's so normal to talk about it. It can be so instructive to talk about. And so many of the stories that I have written on these delicate topics, um, either the subject or I have said at some point, you know, if this could just help one person who's struggling through what I'm going through, it's worth it. Like, I can't tell you how many times I've heard that from an athlete's mouth. And that's yeah. usually for speaking out because again, sports just kind of is the stage where we can, you know, talk about society and these things through the prism of sports. Um, and, and so that's been my approach with all of these stories. I've been really grateful that um, so many athletes have trusted me to share their stories. And, you know, honestly, maybe this is just tangible, something else, but I always give athletes a ton of credit because they talk to us and it's, 
it's totally transactional and they put trust in us because we're the ones that have to take their words and put them out and they're trusting yeah. us every right context we're going to do the right thing and portray them accurately and sometimes we don't and then you know they don't really get agency in that so um it's really a relationship especially when you do work on stories with a more delicate matter yeah yeah and i i think that's so so great i i, I really think too that you know i think about different um athletes that have come out and and have talked about these things and how important and how how helpful that's been you know and it, it also gives the rest of us that have struggled with mental health the the ability to, or the confidence to voice that as well. I mean, I'm I'm the same way as you and dealt with, you know, anxiety issues throughout my entire life and really didn't get help for it, like professional help for it until I was an adult and not even until I was at ESPN. Like that was like, finally, I was like, okay, finally, I got to go do this. And, and yeah, I mean, it's just one of those things where you're like, Hey, I, when the more you hear people talk about it and normalize therapy or psychiatry or whatever, it really does help a lot. And I think that athletes, because they are superhuman to us, and then we see them be human, um, that helps a lot. And I think, and it, but it also takes a great storyteller. And that's what I think, you know, your stories always come from a place of empathy and understanding, which is why I think that you've gained the trust of a lot of the people that, that you've spoken with. And so I, I, I appreciate, you know, the voice that you've given to them because it helps the rest of us kind of experience that with them. So um, but yeah, but I mean, you know, go ahead. Thank Sorry. That and thanks like for sharing your story. Cause I had no idea about that with you yeah. and like just having this conversation just feels like, I don't know, maybe we wouldn't have this conversation four years ago. I don't think so. Yeah. I mean, and you know, I mean, we're, and we're obviously we've been friends since we got together at ESPN and everything and it's, it's been great, but yeah, I mean, you're, we're constantly learning things about each other, but yeah, but I mean, you know, like that stage, you know, for you, you, at least, you know, you had worked at, at sports illustrated and it, you know, it had some, some high level experience. When I got to ESPN, I was like, Oh my God, what did I, I, I feel like I'm in way over my head. And so that's the thing you can, you can get your dream job and it can be the most intimidating possible thing <laughs> in your life. And yeah, I mean, and that happened to me multiple times throughout my career, but that was finally the time where I was like, all right, let's go do something about that. And so, yeah, so I do encourage anybody that's out there that is listening to this and does feel like, you know, a little lost. It, it, it is, it is surprising how, how much of a relief it is when you do finally get help. And you're like, you don't even care who knows, because it's just like, you're going to feel so much better once you, or at least, you, yeah, exactly. And you, and you also, when you finally do something, you've at least done something. And so that's, that's a big thing. That's a big weight as well. All right. Well, we have other things that we need to talk about as well. And it's, there's no easy way to transition from that, but I'm very glad that we had that discussion, Emily, because I, I appreciate our friendship and I appreciate that we've been able to, uh, you know, hopefully there are some people out there listening that, that do, uh, do take our words to heart on that. But, you know, one of the other things that you've been really passionate about since you've gotten ESPN and really, I think, have, have even ramped it up further is your coverage of women's hockey um, on a national scale. And I think that you've you've definitely gotten the trust in, and uh, of, of many of the, the women that are among the best players in the in the in the world. And obviously, you know, you've had great interviews with Cami Granado and, um, you know, uh, Hillary Knight and, and Kendall Coyne and all these other people that you've you've been able to talk to. Um, you know, and the, the, the Lamaru twins trusting you with the, you know, kind of their retirement story as well. Um, I just wonder, you know, it's been a tough year for women's hockey. I mean, there's no way around it. I had Marissa and Jemmy on a few weeks back and, 
we talked about, you know, the, the disappointment of, of what happened with the women's world championship. Um, just today is the day that we recorded this Casey Bellamy announced her retirement, which was a bit of a surprise. She was on the world championship roster um, and then has announced her retirement. So it was a uh, very, uh, very surprising news as well. Um, but I mean, what is the sense that you've gotten from the women's players that you've been speaking with this year? We did have a PHWPA um, uh, great, you know, event in St. Louis uh, the last night as well. So things are moving in a positive direction at times, but there have been a lot of two steps forward, one step back, or sometimes two steps back. So um, I just wonder what your, what your sense is on, on how women's athletes are handling this season. I do believe, I firmly believe that the pandemic adversely affected women's sports and specifically women's hockey, because at one hand, when March, 2020 happened, there was a level playing field. Everyone was shut at home. No one could go to ranks. Um, men, women, everyone was in the same boat. And slowly we start to see men's leagues get to start up and programming start and exceptions being made. And especially when it comes to women's hockey, um, there just hasn't been that. And like you said, there's been some here and there. Um, and and it, it, that's been nice, but these women have faced adversity, you know, pretty much their entire careers. And this is nothing new to them. Unfortunately, it's become normalized for them. And when something right. like world championships gets canceled the day they're supposed to leave. Um, it sucks and they're disappointed, but it's not the craziest thing that's happened to them. Um, and, and so I do hope that when we emerge from this, we do get a little more normalcy, but I fear that right before the pandemic, there was so much momentum for women's hockey. You know, they were at the all-star game with the NHL. They were being treated like true professionals. We were putting them on that stage. It felt like there was momentum for the NHL to help support a women's league. And now everyone's finances are wrecked and priorities need to go to what, you know, makes the most money and women's sports inherently are an investment because it does take time to see your right. return. The would argue is that women's sports have something that men's sports do not have, which is incredible, measurable room for growth. That said, people are prioritizing men's sports right now. So um, I feel for these women. I really do. I think there's so many women who are wasting prime years of their career um, right now, and it sucks. Um, but like I said, they're a resilient group. Um, and I say group like worldwide. It's not just yeah. the American Canadians, the Finns, the Russians, the Swedes, like all of them. Um, and they'll get through this because as we know, it's the fastest growing sport in America with girls hockey is. Yep. It's incredible high level. We're seeing so many more skilled players come through the program. And like anyone who watched the 2018 Olympics knows what it can look like when it is pumped up on a great stage. We just need to see more of that. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I mean, yeah, and just seeing, seeing the way that this has impacted them you know, we, we there the positives have been that we've seen women's hockey on national television, which is great. You know, we need to see more of that, more opportunities outside of the Olympics. My hope is is that you know, women's world championship, once it does get going in August, as we expect it will, will will you know be really solid. We'll have be able to have the the rivalry series next year, which is you know tentatively planned, but that is a lot that has to happen to get USA and Canada across borders and whatever else we have to do, but. You know, so yeah, so I hope that there's a chance for momentum. I, the one thing I did want to ask you about is just, you know, I think one of the things that there remains a lack of clarity on and, and maybe, you know, uh, definitive direction in terms of where it goes next is, is women's professional hockey and the two, the two league situation, the PHWPA, the NWHL, um, you know, there have been obviously various reports that, you know, the NHL is, is 
really not in a position or says they're not in a position to make, uh, make, you know, provide support to a, to a league. Um, but you know, they would have a, I don't know what kind of involvement they would have in, in anything going forward, but it does seem like a lot of the individual teams are stepping up and, and there are different things there. But I mean, do you have any sense of, of where we can go from here as uh, for women's hockey and professional hockey? You know, it's funny because that report came out um, about the NHL saying, well, we're not going to pick sides. And if, you know, the NWHL and the PWHPA come together, maybe we'll support it, but we're not in position right now. And I'm like, it's not really news. It's kind of the status quo. That's what right. it's been for a couple of years. Yeah. Um, shows us that startup women's leagues can be successful and are successful when they're attached to pre-existing men's leagues because they have the infrastructure there. I think the best example of that is the WNBA. Yeah. Again, when we're talking about women's sports being an investment and WNBA is 25 years old. We're finally seeing right now what happens when the media and sponsors catch up with that infrastructure. Um, but that those things take time. So I think, um, you know, the women in the, the PWPA, which are predominantly national team members, all of the national team members on USA and Canada have no interest in playing the NWHL. And it's not just a thing because they didn't like Danny Ryland, the owner. They just don't believe in the business model and they don't think it's sustainable. And they still feel like there's transparency issues there. Like the NWHL just announced they're what, doubling their salary cap. I'm told that like not necessarily all teams will spend to the cap and we're not going to see actual spending of, of who's going to get what. That's not great. Like that's not what right. we need and no transparency. Right. Um, I think that, you know, we need the infrastructure of men's sports, quite frankly, or just an insane amount of investment. And I would look for the PWHPA to start partnering more with individual NHL teams who have showed interest in women's hockey. Um, and I think that's where we go in the next year. But unfortunately, next season it looks like another one where we're going to have something like a dream gap tour yeah yeah then that's that's going to be it, it's just yeah you wonder where where we can go to to get the momentum and maybe it'll have to be after the olympics and hopefully that creates the momentum um and with all due respect to canada <laughs> the best way to get momentum is another american gold medal um you know i think just at least in this country um but yeah but sorry, sorry canada uh but one thing you know, there are some positives as well. Toronto Maple Leafs have elevated Dr. Haley Wickenheiser and Daniel Goyette to who, you know, two legendary women's hockey players who are now in, in substantial roles. Um, you know, we're, we saw Kendall Coyne was on the bench for the Rockford Ice Hogs um, a couple of days ago, has has had a, a, you know, a role with the Chicago Blackhawks player development. Um, there are, you know, definitely more women that are getting involved, like Alex, Alex Mandricki, um, you know, in, in Seattle, Cami Granado, of course, as well. So we're, there are women that are starting to get into those positions, um, you know, broadcasting everything. They're all over um, and, and starting to. And I think that we're starting to see a shift. And, and really, you know, it, that is a positive thing. I mean, do you think that this is a trend that's going to continue? Do you think that we're going to see more widespread, um, you know, uh, it, I don't want to necessarily say just a diversity hirings, because that's not really... I think the teams are always just, they want to find the, the best people. And, but I think that there are many women that very well could be and are the best people for, for some of these jobs. Totally. Well, look, the NHL is the copycat league. So some people are going to do it. Other teams are going to follow that. I firmly <laughs> believe that. Um, you know, I do think that Kyle Dubas is onto something and I don't think it's insignificant to point out that he is the youngest GM in the league. So right. he may be thinking, 
differently. Um, but like the great example is when he hired Noel Needham to become the first yep. female amateur scout. When he did it, he said, I'm going to have all of the scouts that I'm interviewing do a blind scouting report. Their name won't be on the top and I picked the best candidate. He chose Noel because she had the best report. She got hired. She's there for two years. Then she leaves to become the assistant GM of the Chicago Steel, the USHL. All of a sudden, she's in the pool, right? She's moving up right. the management, has that experience. All it takes is someone just to give a chance. And I really do listen to some of these things that Kyle Dubas says where, and I'm, if we're only hiring white men, and he's saying this as a white man, we're leaving a lot off the table in terms of where we can grow and develop our organization. I also think it's interesting to hear him say, because of the constraints that Toronto has in terms of taxation and the salary cap, they're always looking for competitive advantages. And being more diverse and having a more diverse background and group thing is a competitive advantage. So it is. start hearing that and believing that they will start thinking outside the box and maybe follow the lead of other sports, which have, you know, gone the non-traditional route. And a lot of hires of people who just haven't come up the pipeline, who aren't just former players and people who've been in the game the whole time, people who come from different areas and industries who can bring in a fresh perspective. We're getting there. We're just not there yet. Yeah, and I'll be interested. I'm I'm looking forward to because I think we're getting closer and closer to the day where we will have have women on the bench and we'll have, you know, women as video coaches and and other things like that. And I mean, there are also multiple women in hockey that are are not. You know, you might not know their names. I'm I'm thinking of some like you know Gabri Sweetai who works for the Anaheim Ducks is she's you know kind of under the radar, but she was a yeah, yeah, she was a, a Brendan Burke intern for for USA Hockey, and you know the first woman to do that job, and and it led to another job. So I mean, there are a lot of women out there that are kind of under the radar that are going to be doing some big things in hockey that you need to be aware of. And I also think the NHL Coaches Association has been doing a phenomenal job of highlighting uh, women and and uh, people of color that are in those positions and giving them some recognition and notoriety. Um, as well. And, and I know that you had, you know, a, a recent piece about the future of front offices and coaching and, and things like that. So there are a lot of different names that, that people might not know yet. So go check that out. Um, but yeah, so I, and I do think that also scouting has become a, a, a gateway for a lot of people that do not, that were not former players. It's, 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 that was the first kind of step towards NHL teams getting out of their old hiring practices where it's only former players it's only guys that played because i think you leave you do leave a lot on the table if you're continually hiring the same types of people and it's not just a, a diversity thing you have to have a diversity of thought as well there are so many different things that the perspectives that people get over the course of their lives um there's so many different ways that you can you can you know improve your hiring practices all right so one of the other things i wanted to talk about which i've talked about with all my guests because i think it's interesting to find you know we all end up somewhere, but it takes a while to get there. And there are all different things that we have to do. So I did want to talk about your career a little bit um, as a, as a Penn, a proud Penn state alum. And uh, you know, how did your, how did your career kind of launch? I mean, you know, you, you, you had a pretty awesome job not long after you graduated college. That's uh, hard to do these days. I know I was on a pretty blessed path. I'm not going to lie. Um, I think part of it was that I was a total weirdo when I was like six years old and decided I wanted to be a sports journalist. It all stems <laughs> from middle child and having middle child complex and thinking my dad hated me. It's how I loved hockey because I would bond by watching Rangers games with me. But my dad was also in the industry. He was a sports editor for the New York Daily News when I was growing up. Um, and I thought that was pretty cool. He left the industry um, 
98. So I was only seven. Um, I'll date myself there. Anyways, um, I chose Penn State specifically because they had a sports journalism major. And at the time, they were the only school in the country that offered that. Like, I was just so narrowly focused. Um, and to the point where, like, I wanted to play club field hockey. I was a field hockey player growing up and I was pretty good. And, like, I was told, like, you have to choose between club field hockey and the newspaper. You can't do both. And I chose the newspaper. Totally could have done both, by the way. Like, I know it's people. <laughs> yeah. like, but, like, that's how motivated I was. Um, and I, you know, got a bunch of internships at Penn State and wrote for the school paper, started working for the AP. Um, long story short, the Jerry Sandusky scandal happened. And um, as twisted as it was, it was incredible on the ha- on the job learning experience. Like, right. I was working. Associated Press, I was getting a call from a sports editor that said Joe Paterno was fired, knock on his door, and then they're giving me instructions of how not to get arrested for trespassing. Um, so like oh. things like that were pretty, um, you know, I, I was doing this stuff at a young age. And um, because I was there when this industrial scandal happened, a lot of national media members were coming into campus. I made some connections with folks at Sports Illustrated, did like a little research for them, uh, got an internship there. Um, turned it into a job and I guess you could say the rest is history yeah I mean and pretty pretty incredible I mean Sports Illustrated you know I think for a lot of people that get into sports journalism at least at one time was was kind of the pinnacle and and being there is is special I mean I that I mean I think I had a Sports Illustrated I had the SI for kids when I was like six and then I went you know graduated to the big SI when I was like 12 and so you know so it was kind of a I've always, I've always admired that about you, that you had an opportunity. How, how many covers did you end up getting there? One, uh, I think it's four. That's pretty um, amazing. And how old were you when you got your first cover on, on Sports Illustrated? Maybe 23. That's insane. It was, it was just my name on the cover, teasing it inside the fold. Let's, we'll be clear. It wasn't that school. That's pretty cool. I mean, 23 years old and to have your name on the, on the cover, you know, like that's, that's a pretty big deal. Oh, um, and there were, that I was super proud of and like okay like just to totally derail the conversation but the story I'm most proud of at SI and I think this is a story that taught me the most about empathy was this one about Danny Watkins it was incredible he was the ask anyone in Philly and he was a first round bust he sucked he was an offensive lineman that got and just yeah. was not and then um he disappeared he like left the league um no one knew what happened to him there was like reports that he was like firefighting while he was with the Eagles and which would be a breach of contract I tracked him down and it turns out this kid he's from British Columbia um always wanted to be a firefighter since he was little and then decided to go um to junior college in the U.S. because they had a firefighting program and because he was big and looked like an offensive lineman they're like you should play and they put him in the in the football factory but all he ever wanted to do was be a fireman and like everyone's like well you're a first round draft pick of the Eagles you're in the NFL that should satisfy you but it never did because it wasn't so that is my favorite story I think I've ever written and one of the coolest ones I got to do at SI yeah that that is an awesome story that is uh yeah and as the brother of a firefighter who wanted to be a firefighter from the very beginning of of his life (laughs) you know that is that is really cool um that's really that's that is a great story and yeah I mean you know so you know you you do eventually move to ESPN and you you came to ESPN at a time where there was a real transition going on in the NHL coverage. I mean, I remember I was at CBS Sports at the time, um, and I was just about to lose my job, unbeknownst to me. And, uh, you know, things kind of ESPN had gone through some layoffs and everything. But then you 
you kind of came in and you, you were the new, you, one of the new NHL writers. I think, you know, Craig Custance and Corey Pronman were still there when you got there or, or were on the way I out. Corey for like a month and then Craig, no. Yeah. So, wow. So that, yeah. So you basically for a first, for a short period of time, you were the NHL department, um, <laughs> you know, and, and had to learn, you know, one of the things that I think is impressive is that, you know, you get onto a national writing platform and have to learn a new beat because you primarily cover the NFL. You were obviously a fan of hockey, but being a fan of hockey and covering hockey are two incredibly different things. So I just wonder what was it like for you to kind of learn on the job to develop the, you know, the chops to be able to, to be a national storyteller for, you know, NHL stories. You know, I think like the biggest piece of career advice I would have here is like, you don't know what you don't know. And like, and I was so transparent with anyone I, I had a call with. And I was like, I just covered the NFL for three years for Sports Illustrated. I love hockey, but like, I, I don't know how the way things work behind the scenes or I'm not, you know, don't have the connections or X, Y, and Z. And just like, tell me, like, talk to me. And, and can you help explain it so my coverage can be better? And I do pe- think that people did really appreciate that transparency. I'll never forget though. Like I was hired, I think I started in July and like, I was just so paralyzed at first being like, how do I write my first story? What is my first story going to be? Who yeah. do I, it's like, I tried to get in touch with Mike Madonna and like, I, call, I went through like 10 million like routes that when I finally got on the phone with him, he's like, who are you? Because like 10 people told me you were trying to get in touch. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, just, you know, and what I've learned about hockey is that it can feel like a small community and, um, you know, a little insular in that sense, but once you're in, they take care of their own and everyone is so welcoming and accessible. And if you are transparent with them and say, this is exactly what I'm trying to do. This is where I come from. This is what I'm trying to put out. Um, I did find people being generally willing to help. Um, and yeah, just a couple of those stories, got Mike Madonna, got a couple others and I was on my way. Um, but yeah, I'm just, I'm so grateful for the opportunity that was given. Um, it did come at it, like you said, though, a really strange time. And like, part of me kind of felt like a scab too, because they had just yeah. laid off you know, so many people and I was coming in and they're like, who the heck is this girl who again, covered the NFL? It almost felt like a joke. And I just felt like it took time for everyone to understand who I was um, and prove myself through my work. And then once I got there, that's how I built my reputation. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, I remember even when I came in and I was only part-time at, when I first came in and I was like, Oh, this is kind of, I don't know. Is this, uh, is this going to be okay? Am I going to be mm-hmm. here? You know? Um, but I'm also not going to say no. <laughs> so, you know, it's, uh, yeah, but it, it was an interesting time. And then obviously, you know, we, we ended up, you know, kind of getting a little team together with you, me and Greg for a bit. And then, you know, you and Greg are still doing phenomenal work there. And I, you know, I wonder for just kind of going back to starting at ESPN and being on the NHL, what do you, is there a story that you can think of where it's like, yes, I got it now. I feel like I'm in, I feel like I've, I've, I've proven myself or I've at least shown NHL fans what I'm about. (laughs) I only laugh. I honestly think I will be defined by the start of the rest of my career. Um, But it was the big butt story that I I think was like a big Um, because it was, that was the story of what I was about, where it's like, this is a thing that everyone talks about in hockey. Everyone in hockey knows it, but everyone was too afraid to talk about it publicly. Yeah. And I got a bunch of guys to talk about the fact that hockey players have thick lower halves and they have a hard time finding jeans that fit. And um, the story I think did really well because 
it resonated with so many people, dressing room anxiety, weight yeah. gain, lost body image. Those are things that like everybody deals with um, right. or, or and for people to deal with. Um, and just, you know, seeing the reaction of people being like, okay, this seems like a silly story. And I remember when I was asking those questions and like I did at the media tour and some people heard me asking and they were laughing like, oh my God, is this girl a joke? But when they saw the finished product, they saw what I was about. Yeah. Um, Maybe that was my big breakthrough. I think, well, I think it certainly was, it was probably the the biggest story that you had done at the time in terms of exposure and just the, because uh, I mean, I, I was, my wife was in the car listening to the radio in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. And she's like, they just talked about Emily's story on the radio. It was like a morning zoo show. And they were like, this is the best. And this is hilarious. And, but it was, but and, and again, it, I think one of the things that you have constantly done and what we, what we constantly have to do as, you know, storytellers and everything is try, you know, these human, these relatable human stories that transcend hockey, those are so important to helping grow the game as well as just getting people to understand these players. And it allowed guys to show personality as well and humor and, 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 you know, self-deprecation. And I thought that that was such a great thing, but I'll tell you the story that I knew when I was like, oh, okay, she got it. Um, it was the Vladimir Tarasenko story that you did, which I thought was, and that was earlier than the butt story. If I recall, it was, that was my first summer. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. And that was such a, because it, it allowed people into a player that I don't know that he's that open normally, but you got through to him and you went to his house and you you learn about his family and all these different things. And like, he's a sensitive guy and all, you know, it was really interesting to kind of learn about him. So I, I thought that, that was one where, where I was like, oh, okay, she's, she knows what she's doing here. She's, she's part of the club. She gets it. So <laughs> yeah. I, I appreciate that. That one was hilarious too. And the reason, because I came from football, um, I knew a lot of agents in Octagon and Octagon also represents hockey. And so they yep. connect and they were like, here's our clients. Like, let us know if you're interested in that. And he was like, I'd love to do something on Vladimir Tarasenko. I think he's interesting, but I really didn't know much about him, right? Like, I knew that he was awesome and scored a lot of goals, but like, I don't know. Anyway, we go to his house and like, I'm not going to lie. The first 30 minutes were so awkward. Mm, like, yeah, it's tough. Was, wife was tense. He was giving me all these one word answers. And I'll never forget. He like mentioned that he's renovating his basement. And I said, oh, is it a man cave? And he's like, no, come see. And he starts showing me and it's this playroom for the kids. And then he's like, we also have to see the back deck. This is where I grill. And like, all of a sudden I just saw this pride in him as a homeowner. He starts talking about his family and I thought that really opened him up. And so yeah. from learning experience too. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Cause that was, that was, yeah, that was a, that was a great one. I mean, I think you've, you know, and you've had a ton of big stories that, that have come out, you know, in the years since, and, you know, you think about the, the story about the, you know, marijuana and the NHL and the, the, the progressive drug program that, or, you know, that, that the league had, and, you know, and that was a, that was eye opening for a lot of people outside of the NHL as well, just to see the way that they handle those types of things. And, you know, it's, it's so important to, um, you know, to just, you, you know, you always find these stories that I'm sure people, you know, maybe, maybe thought of, and were too afraid to pursue and you just find a way to, pursue them. And, you know, I think that's really great. So, um, but now things are going to be changing at ESPN because it's a big deal. And I talked about this with Greg too. Um, but, you know, just wanted to ask you, you know, how, how exciting is it to be, you know, now part of a, a an organization that's going to be a rights holder. I know it probably creates a bit more work and maybe a few more meetings and things of that nature, 
but I mean, this is uh this is kind of an, another transitional period in sports media. And now the NHL is coming back to ESPN, which I think is great for fans and, and hopefully great for your, for you and Greg as well. Yeah. I mean, you know, this, some of the works at ESPN, my biggest frustration always is you write a story you're so proud of and you know, inevitably there's going to be one person who tweets at you. ESPN doesn't cover hockey. ESPN exactly. Yep. <laughs> no, we do. There's like, this is my job. This is what I do. I'm so passionate about it, but because it's not on, um, you know, TV, it's not the highlights and it's not treated like the other sports. There's that perception. And now it's going to change. Like we're going to see highlights on sports center. We're going to see Stephen A. Smith starting to talk about things, um, yeah. you know, in the ecosystem. And that to me is so cool. And it's only going to grow the game with the exposure. So I'm super pumped about it mm -hmm. because like selfishly, it's a great, I it's great for hockey fans, um, but it's also great for our company. Um, and it's just going to be really cool to see the stuff that we're going to be able to achieve with, you know, the league now being business partners with us. Yeah, it's amazing. And I, you know, having been there too. Yeah. I was like, I was like, come on. I mean, ESPN sent me to Sweden to cover the under 18 world championship. What do you mean? We don't cover hockey. It's like, I mean, <laughs> you know, it's like, there, I was like, come on. I mean, I am, I'm literally in the Czech Republic right now. Like it's, you know, yeah, it's, and, and I think that people are going to find out just how, how passionate there are, how many passionate people there are about hockey in at ESPN. And I hope that that, that translates in the product. But the, the other thing I wanted to ask you about too, is, I mean, you know, you've, since you've gotten to ESPN, you've obviously, you made, you, you know, kind of got, got, got in there with writing and everything, but you've, you know, been on TV now, you've been on around the horn, you've been on, um, you know, uh, other shows in, in a sports center and, and having these opportunities uh, outside the lines. I mean, all these, these kind of mega platforms that that um, is. So, you know, writing for ESPN is one thing, but appearing on the network is an entirely different thing. What's it like for you as somebody that, you know, gets a chance to, to be on some of the most popular shows that the, that the network has? Yeah. I mean, around the horn is where I get the most regular reps. And firstly, I'm just so grateful um, to the producers for selecting me and letting me do that. Yeah. Um, I can't lie to you though. Like I want to like be, it's, it was, terrifying mm -hmm. um to do at first and I remember they asked me to do the first show I was in Columbus for the playoffs and um I was like I can't do it I'm not in one of the cities they can go and they're like okay they called me again and I remember someone's like you can't say no to them twice you just got to do it um and you go out there and you're just putting yourself out there in such a visible way um and so like think of how many times you watch tv and you just create a snap judgment of whoever's talking based off oh, of like yeah. one <laughs> and now I'm so cognizant that that's me. And there's so many people, millions of people at home are making that snap judgment about me. And it's really scary. Um, I've become a lot more conditioned to not searching my name online. You have to really grow thick skin and have a, a strong sense of self and conviction, knowing that you believe in everything you're saying. And it's totally fine, whatever Sh Joe Schmo in North Dakota thinks. But like, all I care about is Emily Kaplan. And if Emily Kaplan's proud of what she's saying, then that's what matters. Um, and so that's definitely been a learning curve and an evolution, but it's so fun, honestly. And that shows specifically because it is an institution on the network because Tony Reale is just the freaking coolest. Um, yeah. And the beyond are with are, are people that I grew up admiring. Um, like the fact that I'm on four straight shows with Woody Page, which I roll my eyes because it's Woody, but, and I can tell <laughs> that's the case. But like everyone in the world knows Woody Page if you like sports, he's been on forever. Um, yeah. And that's just, really cool and sometimes I have to pinch myself because quite honestly it still feels surreal 
Yeah. Well, I, I know one of my proud coworker moments um, for, you know, was one mm-hmm. your first episode. I was like, oh my gosh, this is so amazing. And, and we knew that, you know, you being on there was a great thing for hockey as well. It was a great thing for our NHL coverage. But then I also like, like you were like my work sister. So I was like, you know, I was so proud when Jackie McMullen was like, you are, I love reading you. I was like, oh my God, that is a legend. Just absolutely shouting you out, like out of nowhere, just because she wanted to. And I mean, you know, you, and obviously, you know, I know that you're close with Ramona Shelburne and, you know, you're kind of, you look at what she's done in her career. I mean, how, what's next for Emily Kaplan? I mean, you, you're, 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 this is a rocket ship right now. Thank you for saying that. (laughs) Honestly, I don't feel that way. I just feel like I want to keep doing the exact same stuff that I have been doing and hopefully more people are just noticing now. Honestly, that's how I feel. (laughs) Well, I think a lot of people are noticing and it's been a blast to work with you. I mean, I miss that for sure, but it's also been a lot of fun to just watch your career continue to grow and, and you continue to do great work you, just because you're on TV doesn't mean you, you stop writing amazing stories because there have been a lot of great things that you've put out there as well. And, and I'm glad that we've been able to have this conversation and on a, in a great time for hockey, it's fun. Things are starting to return to normal. So definitely please everybody check out Emily Kaplan's work at ESPN.com. Check her out on around the horn sports center. I'm sure you'll be on a few times during the postseason. Um, do you think you'll be able, are you going to be able to go to any games at this point? I think Greg and I are going to hopefully be traveling at least to the conference finals and finals, which is super exciting. Um, yeah, I I just, I want to end this on, I am the biggest Chris Peters fan there is. (laughs) I know this is your podcast, but I'm going to just hijack it here right now. Your work ethic, your, um, I don't even know what to say is it's not even coachability. It's you're the best teammate. I think I might've ever had. You are oh. always all some of my greatest stories. Honestly, I feel like were ideas that came from you. Um, <laughs> and I'm so appreciative of our friendship and just know that you're a rocket ship too. And hopefully our rockets um, don't collide can run in parallel. Uh, <laughs> yeah. The yeah. Moon. Um, yeah. One day is, I don't know. I just, I miss working with you and I've loved following hockey sense because it's the questions that I always just want to ask you because of your institutional knowledge that you can now give to fans. And it's, it's sick. Yeah. Well, thank you, Emily. I'm going to edit all of that out, but you know, it's, a, I'm just kidding. I'm, kidding. I'm, kidding. I'm kidding. You are, you are the best. I mean, and yeah, I mean, that's that I'll, I'll say it, you know, the, the best thing that, that came out of ESPN was the team that I got to work with because that everybody is able to make everybody better. And, and there's no, you know, there, there's no question that, you know, that was, that was the highlight of, of, of my career and getting to meet you, work with you and learn from you as well uh, was great. So we got to stop this mutual black backslapping society before all the listeners get, uh, you know, get, get tired of me and stop listening to my podcast, but thank you so much for the kind words. Thank you for coming on the podcast, continue the amazing work that you've been doing. And I, I, I agree. I hope that our rocket ships uh, run parallel. Definitely don't want to collide. Very no. bad things. I've seen the videos of that. Not good. A lot of uh, yeah, SpaceX is, it has a lot of those. So, uh, but anyway, uh, Emily, thanks so much for joining Talking Hockey Sense and, and can't wait to follow your work going forward. Likewise, likewise, likewise. Thank you for having me. And we'll hopefully see your face soon. Yeah, I hope so. All right. Thanks again, Emily. Thanks, Chris. 
And once again, my thanks to Emily Kaplan for joining me on the podcast this week. She is uh, a lot of fun and (laughs) very kind, very kind, too kind, you might say. Uh, But yeah, but always great. And that's why she was great to work with and was uh, really enjoyed that conversation. All right. So moving on, the playoffs obviously are going. One of the things I wanted to let you guys know about is if you are interested in sports betting and things of that nature, uh, please also take a look at what I do for Betway, which is a new partner with the NHL um, for sports betting. And I have been working with them all season long on, you know, occasionally picking games for them. You can find those at blog.betway.com backslash NHL. That's Betway Insider, where you can find my picks on select games throughout the postseason. I also have an interview that I did with both Clark Gillies and Bobby Nystrom from the legendary four straight Stanley Cups won by the New York Islanders. Obviously, both have their numbers retired. We did a QA and a and one of the cool things that came out of that was just, you know, basically I wanted to understand a couple of different things. There are some things about that Islanders dynasty, you know, we all know. Obviously, we know Denny, Denny Potvin and, and, and Bossy and Trottier and Billy Smith and, and you know, Butch Goring and all those players that, that, that made those Stanley Cups happen. But I wanted to talk a little bit about kind of what happened in the buildup to that. And, you know, Bobby Nystrom, Clark Gillies, those were two guys that were there for a long time before the Islanders started winning those cups. They talked about, you know, how there was some fear that they might break the team up uh, before they went on their run and, and just, you know, if they weren't able to get the job done. And they talked about the importance of, you know, the adversity that they faced in, in, in the previous two postseasons before they finally won that that first Stanley Cup. And, um, you know, it, the other thing that comes across in the interview is just how good of friends these guys still are today. The, the fact that, you know, you, you create these relationships that are lifelong and lasting, especially from when you are winning championships together. It's very easy to stay connected when you've had so many great memories that you can share. But uh, do check that out. That is on uh, Betway Insider. Again, blog.betway.com backslash NHL to get directly to my coverage. Um, but yeah, it'll, it'll give you some picks. And if you're interested in that, uh, please do check it out to, because uh, that's one of the things that I've been doing and, and certainly uh, uh, been fun to do. So anyway, outside of that, and, and the Stanley Cup playoffs. The Men's World Championship is coming up. Team USA will start it off on uh, eight, on May 22nd against Finland. And that will be a, a tough first draw. Finland is the defending champion, though there was no tournament last season. But uh, they are have a lot of players with experience. And the interesting thing is, is there aren't many NHL players that are going to be participating in this event. There are some. But Finland proved in the last time they played in this tournament that you don't need NHL players to win the World Championship. And so I think that's kind of instructive for what's what we're, what to expect and look for this year. You know, I think Russia is going to be very good. Canada is going to have a, a quality team, but not their, you know, maybe not one that's up to the their their lofty standards in this tournament. Even when they're getting, you know, the secondary or third third tier guys, uh, they still can put together a really competitive team. I think Sweden has a very strong roster. They've been able to get some some quality NHL players like uh, Ricard Raquel and um, you know Jacob uh, Olafson and or Victor Olafson rather. And just you know there are a lot of different uh, players that they've been able to get. So there are a lot of exciting things to watch but you know certainly for me some of the things that are most exciting are going to be watching draft eligible players and there are two of of particular interest that i think will play you know decent sized roles on their respective national teams it starts with maddie veneers who we've talked on this podcast before about played at the university of michigan uh didn't you know mention last week and, and broke the news that he was going to be part of team usa at this tournament 
Um, and I, I'm very interested to see what he's going to be able to do. Owen Power for Canada, uh, his teammate. Uh, you know, I hope that we're going to see Power get into some significant games. I'm not exactly sure. There's there's quite a few veteran defensemen that that have been added to the Canadian roster. So I think that you know there's going to be a, a competition for roster spots. But I don't think that Canada takes Owen Power without you know a plan to put him into games. And, and then there's also a third one that I think is kind of interesting and, and a guy that really popped off at the World Under-18 Championship, Danila Klimovic, who plays for Belarus. Um, he is a young guy. He's got a tremendous shot, elite release, um, and scored six goals at the World Under-18s. And, and he is now going to play for the senior team, which is quite an accomplishment to go from U18s to the senior uh, World Championship. Uh, it's not been done very many times. Uh, we did see Jack Hughes do it two years ago. Um, and uh, yeah, so it'll be interesting to see how Klimovich handles the larger competition. He was supposed to come over to the OHL um, this last year and play in Canada, but obviously that wasn't going to be possible. So didn't do that. So he played in Belarusian junior hockey, and that's what makes his draft projection so tricky. He was a you know, dominant scorer in that league, but you know it's just not very common to see many players come out of the Belarusian Junior League that, you know, are ready for that next step. It would have probably been a lot better to see him in North America, but uh, scouts are intrigued, and they should be, because he was very, very good and was a big reason that that Belarus was a quarterfinalist at at the World Under-18s, and I think that he's going to be a guy to watch and a name to know um, as well as... uh, those, there's there's plenty there, and there are going to be other players too. Uh, you know, Simon Nemec uh, from from Slovakia, and um, you know he he's one of those guys that that there's a lot of excitement about for 2022, and I think a lot of people are already looking ahead to 2022 and 2023 uh, because they've been hearing that this 2021 draft is you know only okay, and that's pretty much true. But it should be interesting, and that, that gives us reason to watch the world. Uh, world Championship as well. I think you know U.S. has some other prospects of note. Certainly Zach Jones, defenseman from uh, UMass, the national championship team. He played in the World Juniors two years ago and also um, was a, a, a big part of that UMass team and made his NHL debut this year with the Rangers. So I think there's a lot of excitement about the future of Zach Jones and to see him in this tournament should be a lot of fun. Jacob Bernard Docker, who played at the University of North Dakota, playing for Team Canada, was a late addition to their their roster. So a really good opportunity for him, the the Ottawa Senators first rounder who who made his NHL debut this year. Um, you know, and and I think one of the guys that I'm most excited to watch for Team USA in particular is Jason Robertson. And Robertson is probably not going to win the Calder Trophy. He's going to probably finish second to Kirill Kiprizov, but. Robertson is is such an interesting prospect, and and I wanted to talk about him for a second because I wanted to do a little bit of a prospect kind of breakdown. I, I tweeted about this, but I think it provide you know I'm just going to provide a little more context. So Jason Robertson was a guy that I've I've been tracking for years, and I've I've been fascinated by him. His production has always been exceptional. He's he's been a guy that I think um, provides a lot of intrigue. I did not anticipate his success this early in his NHL career. And, and in fact, in the last you know top 50 prospects that I did for ESPN before I left, he was not on it. Um, and the biggest reason for me was because I did not think that he skated at a level that was going to allow him to produce as much as he did this season in the NHL. And it's a really good lesson to learn. And it's one that I'm constantly learning. And I'm ha- I'm having to do that with this particular draft class in 2021 because there are a lot of players where skating is probably their biggest hindrance or flaw. 
And I think for Jason Robertson, he has size, he has strength, he has drive, he has all those things, but he also has incredible hockey sense, incredible offensive awareness, an elite shot, you know, an, an ability to find space, an ability to, to make plays. So he doesn't close on pucks very fast. He doesn't have a good burst. He's not going to beat a lot of defenders one-on-one in terms of, you know, getting around them with speed, but he has strength, he has hockey sense, and he has a very good awareness of what his limitations are. And so think that that's an important thing to note. There are a lot of players that can overcome those singular flaws. And if you look at Jason Robertson's career throughout his junior career, you know, even before that, when he was playing midget hockey, when he played in, um, you know, the AHL, this is a guy that simply produces. He is, you know, he's a scored over a hundred points in an OHL season. He was a point per game player at the World Junior Championship. He had forty seven points last season in the AHL. Every single step of the way, this guy has produced, and so I think that sometimes. The stats don't tell the story of a player. Sometimes it doesn't allow you to to get the full comp, comp you know full composition of a player. But when you look at a guy like Jason Robertson and what he did throughout his career, you know, 18 goals as a as an OHL rookie, 42 the next season, 41 the season after that, and 48 the season after that. And this is a guy that just scores. He had 25 goals in his first year in the AHL. Sometimes we get too hung up on individual flaws in in evaluation and nobody's perfect. But that is one that I'm really glad that I was wrong about because Jason Robertson is a nice kid for one. He is a hard worker. He has had and heard those doubts about his skating ability for years and it has never once deterred him. And this year he had 45 points in 51 games as an NHL rookie for a team that was playing for the Stanley Cup last season. Pretty remarkable. So that's the parting thoughts for today. Really excited to see Jason Robertson play for Team USA at the World Championship. I'm not afraid to admit when I'm wrong. I was totally wrong about Jason Robertson and what I thought were his limitations because he absolutely shattered my too low expectations. And maybe he exceeded or maybe he's meeting his own, but whatever the case, an incredible performance from him this season and a guy I'm really excited to watch at the World Championships. All right, folks, that's going to do it for this week. Again, please rate, review, subscribe. Uh, go to Hockey Sense uh, with Chris Peters on Substack. Subscribe to that as well. Support this if you if you enjoy it. And, and again, thank you so much to everybody that has already done those things and it will continue to support this. It means the world to me. You're all beautiful. Let's enjoy the playoffs together. Let's enjoy the world championship. And let's look forward to a summer that will have a lot, a lot of hockey in it. All right, folks. Thanks again. This is Talking Hockey Sense. I'm Chris. We'll see you next time.